everybody, welcome to another Haas Talks Foss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yakovit, head of open source strategy here at Percona, and I am joined once again by Bruce Mamjid from Enterprise DB. Bruce has been uh, on this podcast before, and uh, we we had been ships passing in the night last week at the That's right, Postgres absolutely. conference. You know, we, we we saw each other but didn't get to catch up, so we figured, why not get exactly on a call like this and, and, and chat and, and catch up on what's going on. And, uh, you know, so it, it's always exciting. You know, we've, we've got other conferences. We're starting to be in person again. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to actually talk to people in person. Right. You know? And, yeah. There was a lot of energy in San Jose cause everyone was together and a lot of stuff you couldn't talk about online. It was just too hard to really get the emotion across. Yeah. It's much easier in a group, you know, together in person. Yeah, and there were so many people to talk to, right? So you got to talk to a little bit of everybody. Very You're like, oh, true. I haven't seen you in a while. Very um, true. Yeah. So, um, so Bruce, you know, I, I figured maybe we would just catch up on a few topics, see what's trending, see what you're seeing in the industry. Um, you know, you are as plugged in as plugged in can be, um, you know, uh, in terms of the, the Postgres community. And so I, I'm, I'm curious, what sort of trends, things are you starting to see evolve as you're looking towards the next year? You know, you've been talking with folks, you've been following the, you know, the mailing lists. Are you seeing a couple patterns or something that we should be aware Aware of in the community well uh, probably the big issue this week uh, and last week actually uh, was how to deal with the Russia issue mm. um, so I've spent a lot of time on that because obviously as a person in leadership uh, it kind of becomes my responsibility to keep an eye on that you know we talked earlier about risks to the community right what what does that look like um, you know, and, and it, it kind of it kind of spans quite a wide, a wide spectrum. For example, um, if we have committers in in these countries, uh, what if they can't communicate with us securely? What if they don't feel they mm. can actually tell us if something's wrong, right? Yeah. Um, and so so we kind of did that due diligence to find out who has commit keys in what countries. Um, and are all these people feeling like they can communicate with us? Because if they can't communicate with us, then effectively something bad could happen to them, something bad could happen to their keys, and we would not be aware of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the second issue that's kind of hot, the <laughs> same, same topic, uh, is, is how to deal with uh, people who want to dis disengage with, with Russia and Belarus. Uh, so uh, we had somebody uh, this week who did not want their blog entry syndicated to those countries, and you know, do we? How do we handle that? Is it? Do we require all the? So we have a we have a Planet Postgres which syndicates all the blogs together, and they they publicly posted that uh, my uh, although my blog summary will appear in Planet Postgres, anyone in Russia or Belarus who clicks on that on the link to see the full blog will actually not see it uh and you know how does that uh, you know it's certainly the right of that person to, to do whatever they want they've they're creating the blog content but to the extent that they that that we're syndicating that is that acceptable um what does it do the user experience if everyone to, was to do this um what if russians were to post a blog that was only visible to people in russia would we accept that right like you you see how it can it could 
kind of spiral out of control. Yeah. And I know this is a topic that is is a hot topic. In fact, um, Amanda Brock from Open UK is going to be talking at our conference uh, specifically about some of these topics um, from an overall open source community perspective, which should be interesting. It's a slippery slope, but it's not the first time we've had a bit of controversy around this. If you remember, GitHub uh, blocked some countries when they had uh, embargoes against them, right? So if you were in certain countries, you couldn't get to your GitHub project. And that was a big hubbub a couple years ago uh, because it was like, oh, wait a minute, what happened with this? Uh, Postgres being in a bit of a different space, but it does follow that same kind of geopolitical um, pressure, if you will, because countries come and go on, you know, these different, you know, embargoes. So you have not only governmental regulations on what's allowed, but then you have um, moral and ethical uh, questions that, that come up. And it's a very difficult topic because, you know, you do see some open source projects start to develop morality clauses and focus on, you know, do we need more ethical, you know, like compliance things, but that's a dangerous slope as well. Yeah, because, it is. You know, if you think about, you know, from a, a license perspective, you, you know, you can use this software unless your name is Bruce, you know, right. or, you know, Oh, you know, that, 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 how do you enforce it? How do you ensure that that happens? Um, so it, it does become a little dangerous and you, you might've seen, there was, uh, several articles, uh, you know, over the last you know month or so since that the war in, uh, Ukraine started where some people actually put in poison pills in their open source. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really, uh, that was really serious. And, and obviously it, it affects it affects the reputation of that project. It also some ways spills out to open source in general, right? It does. Um, it, it seeds doubt, right? right? In, in a company. Yeah. And, 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 you know, this is not, I did write a blog entry on the website called the abuse of open source with a question mark, because this is not a completely new thing. Um, when you think of, you know, you go back to, to Alfred Nobel and, and the dynamite and him creating the Nobel prize to sort of offset the damage. Um, think of the Manhattan project engineers trying to prevent the use of, of the atomic bomb against Japan. Um, but also even more recently, there was some open source uh, concern about the use of open source by the use immigration and custom enforcement ice, you know, and that was mm -hmm. sort of, it came and went, um, really didn't, didn't really stick very much. Uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of like how do you put the genie back in the bottle? If if it's knowledge and software in some sense is knowledge, right? How do you can you restrict that knowledge? And if you do, you know, what are the ramifications of that? And that's really where we've kind of come through. I mean, obviously, the open source legal the term of what would be uh, considered open source by the OSI does not have any discriminatory use to it. Um, but then how do you deal with a blog entry that you're syndicating that has discriminatory use? So we're just kind of keeping an eye on it. It's not something we're ready to take an action on. Um, obviously, if it became widespread and in fact, the blog entry explained in detail how other people could do the same thing if they want to, showed Nginx examples of how to do it and do geolocation stuff. So the person in some ways is advocating that others uh you know follow this pattern i haven't seen anybody follow it if it if it becomes followed and it really hampers the usability of planet postgres itself 
uh, that could be a concern and maybe we have to add because the, the, the bottom line and you aware of this as well is that open source put by by definition of the OSI has no discriminatory uh, mm -hmm. real use to it so how does that OSI license for the software does that how how much does that spill into the infrastructure that we support and the and the planet Postgres infrastructure that we support and how does that deal with content creators who may have discriminatory Right. And, and so that's, that's, if you want to know the hot topic for the past two weeks, that's it. Uh, he just, he just did it basically two days ago or a day and a half ago. Um, so it, it is the hot thing. I've been working with the Russians for, you know, since the invasion, making sure they're okay, trying to, you know, obviously Postgres has relied a lot on, on Russian technology, Russian software, um, engineers, and all that, not, a lot of that non-relational stuff came from the Russians. <laughs> so, uh, that I'm going to be speaking at Percona Live. So, you know, how do you, how do you honor and show appreciation to the work that's been done in the past? by a very de very dedicated Russian team uh, at the same time not supporting an invasion and 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 how do you also help them who probably are as upset or more upset than we are I, I put a personal blog out yesterday um, basically saying um, you know the title is the Russia I grew up in doesn't exist anymore and this is a gentleman who left Russia for Georgia and he basically said he said he said, I'm talking about the hope for this country to be happy and free. It's gone. It's not there anymore. And it probably will not happen now in the next 20 or 30 years. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here trying to understand what the new normal is. But the Russians who, who really understand the tragedy of this are, are also trying to figure out what the new normal is uh, in a way that impacts them even more than us. And the gentleman also, you know, talked about how tragic it is in Ukraine and certainly more tragic than it is for the Russians. But yeah. it, it, it's trying to sort of explain that, that, that what that looks like going forward for Russia is really very unclear and very dark. Yeah. No. And I mean, you know, from, from a, you know, from a Ukrainian perspective, we all have colleagues, um, you know, lots of Percona employees yep. are from the Ukraine and Russia. Yep. Our founder, one Ukrainian, one Russian. Yep. Um, you know, and I think that from a, you know, overall perspective, no one that I have talked to that I have connections with in the community space, um, you know, thinks that anything that's going on is, you know, right or, you know, just exactly. or morally, you know, exactly. justified. Uh, it is a horrible situation. And it's amazing the dedication of, you know, those folks in Ukraine, you know, and, you know, not only do they love their country, but, you know, a lot of them are still working, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, you know, uh, and under the stress and it's, you know, you, you have a lot of admiration for people who are willing to stand up for what they think is right. Yep. 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 Now, you know, without minimizing that very difficult situation, um, and you know, that, that, that is a, a tragic area. Um, let's, let's shift over a little bit to some of the, the more technical topics, some of the Postgres side of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had given a talk last week and it was interesting. Um, my talk was on how developers are going to impact the future of Postgres um, and, and the development cycles. 
And I wanted your take on this because this is a trend that I am seeing more and more. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something that many people disagree with me, but I have a reason, so I might have to explain. Developers, a lot of developers and users don't like databases, right? They, they sure. don't think databases are cool. Um, you know, they'd rather spend their time doing other things. A lot of times they think they're too complex. And the needs for people to move fast and, you know, not have to think are increasing, <laughs> you know, and that's not necessarily a good yeah. thing. I am not, yeah. a, I don't condone, you know, that, but I, I am seeing um, more and more people looking at no code or low code solutions, you know, I mean, and it, for years we've had to deal with ORMs connecting to databases. Yeah, exactly. You know, for years we've had, you know, frameworks and things, but we're starting to see an escalation um, in terms of like, you know, the, the, the needs and the desires and almost a de-evolution of the skill set that most database professionals have. And so that worries me a bit in terms of inflection points from a open source database perspective, because it means less feedback, but it also means people doing things that the databases were never intended to do, um, which could result in new features or it could result in, you know, entirely new projects or crazy things that try and take what we've already done and, and evolve it into something completely different. Um, and I don't know if that's a trend you've been tracking or seeing, but I'm curious on your take on that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I thought of something that I had never really thought of before because you were, you were talking about, right. How, how is the new, what's the new normal here? What's, what are people kind of wanting from a database, right? Uh, and, and I kind of go back to my my time as a developer back in, in the 90s where we used to write applications. And um, a lot of times I'm afraid that developers approach the data store of, of their application as though they're the only person running it. So they're basically in their head you know, as they're at thinking of their application, they're thinking, okay, I got a flat file here, or I've got, you know, an ISAM thing here, whatever. Um, and I only, when I'm writing my application, I'm like, okay, I read a record, I put a record back, I read a record, you know, the standard ORM kind of approach. Um, but they're not, they, they don't really want to embrace the, the fact that, that, thousands of people potentially are doing it to the same data store at the same time, that there may be billions of records in there that, that are getting analyzed, that are getting joined, that are getting, um, you know, processed in other ways. Uh, and, and they're frustrated. They're frustrated that why is this so complicated? Why can't I just get my data? Um, gee, if I, if this was a single user application, I wouldn't need any of this. Right. And, and they may be right. They, a lot of cases you don't need, uh, a relational system if you've got a small amount of data and and it's not you know they're a single user uh you know uh, so and of course sql lights a fantastic solution for that although that itself is sql so maybe that's negative i don't know um but but it feels like there's so yeah there's so much focus on 
tool sets and tool chains and and you know the new development paradigm of the of the month it seems uh that that they just don't have time they don't have uh focus they're they're very focused upward out in what the ui looks like and sort of how that's gonna you know gonna gonna display to people and what's the user experience gonna be and that's great but the, they don't want to look at that bottom piece. Um, nice. I think one of the things that makes me unusual is I've always been a tinker. I always go downward. You know, I'm always like I, you know, when I started with computers, I, you know, I read CPU books to understand how does the hardware work? How does the IO work? You know, I remember looking at UARTs and, uh, you know, how does ISA bus, right? And because of that, as an application developer, I started to look at how does the database doing what it's doing, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm wanting to understand downward, if I'm understanding the hardware, how I need to understand how the data, and I got involved with Postgres because of that interest at the lower level, right? Uh, but the question is, how do you do that for people who, who aren't inclined in that way? And that that's tough. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the stuff you know, a lot of the no non-relational stuff that Postgres has really is very fascinating. And it, it does, I think one of the reasons it's resonated with so many developers is because it gave them a reason to like relational systems. Because all of a sudden you, you, you could, it wasn't this very restrictive thing and you could do these cool things that would be really hard to do in your application. And I almost think as a relational database, we have to continually market that. And, and I, I, I think I think the the best way to explain it for me is that having understand the server, you know, understanding how MVCC works and how locking works and how aggregates work and all of that query optimizer stuff works, right? How all of that kind of fits together to make the developer's experience super simple, right? Because that's the beauty for me of it. Because if you don't use a relational database, you've and you need something complicated done, you have to do it in your application. So I'm always, you know, regularly telling people that the, the database is the is the thing that makes your application simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and as soon as you leave the relational system, whether you're going for a not, you know, no SQL solution or something else, your application, as you're saying, is going to be a lot harder and you're going to do stuff that you really shouldn't be doing like a nested loop in your app when you should be doing a hash join or a merge join. You may not even know what those things are and you certainly don't want to be writing them and you certainly don't want to be writing them in a way that you ought to detect what type of result set should use which type of join in your app. Now, now that reminded me of a story. Yeah. So I, I, I was actually helping um, a company and, you know, the company doesn't exist anymore. Really bad model. Their, their, their model was to create a social um, media like app or website for your music playlists. So it's a little unusual. But I remember going there and these were really smart MIT, Stanford folks, and they actually just selected all of the data out of table A, all the data out of table B, and then they joined it in Java. And then they did their joins in Java. They they filtered out the data that they wanted, and then they threw it back. And then they went and they got another set of data and they did the same thing. And they couldn't understand why the performance was so atrociously bad. And it's like, why do you think you're smarter than the people who wrote 
the joins within the database. Why are you taking everything and redoing, reinventing the wheel? But they thought because they were super smart that they could outthink, um, you know, the database and and do it in a better, more efficient way. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, at least at least I have to give them some credit for actually like you know like thinking about how joins work because I think in a lot of cases people don't even think that. Um, but you know, it it is a it is a strange thing because you're right. A lot of people, you know, they'll they'll not understand the database, how it works, and that causes issues. Um, and I think that there is a difference though between those who um, don't care and those who just don't have the time, right? And so I think that's a that's a it's a nuance. But I think some people do care and they they kind of like they'll just trust that the database handles it and just figure it out later. And those people they can develop bad code, bad designs. They can cause all kinds of issues, but then there's the ones that just don't care. And I think those are a bit more dangerous. Um, but I think that where I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned and this is, a, this is one of those interesting things the, the rise of people taking parts of Postgres and building other databases and trying to establish new kind of like norms uh, I wonder what your take is on that. And what, what you know, let, let me give you an example, right? You know, you, you've got um, some folks will take the Postgres client libraries, Cockroach, Yugabyte, other folks. I mean, great databases, great technology, have no problems with, you know, them as companies. But it's a trend to kind of replace the back end of Postgres. And then I see other ones that are taking and sticking with the back end of Postgres and adding compatibility layers on top to change all of the client protocols to make it something that it isn't. So it's it's weird because it's Postgres-like, but it isn't Postgres, right? And right. so, I, you know, I, I'm like, ooh, d does this... How does this fit into the new ecosystem? And is this one of those, you're going to be talking about challenges and risks. Is this a risk where, you know, you start to see a bit more of a fracture or is it something that we say, this is just yet another kind of distribution? I just had someone on a podcast who, you know, likened Postgres to Linux, right? And so this is just another distribution of Linux. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so it's an interesting take and, and it's a bit of a slippery slope. And, uh, you know, it's something that I've seen more and more of. And so, um, you know, and I'm not saying any of these technologies are bad. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Um, I'm just curious where this takes the ecosystem in the next 20 years. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I do have a slide actually about that in, in the well, in the deck of for competitive challenges. So um, the good news is this is not completely, you know, this is not entirely new. I mean, we had, I think that, I mean, we've had, we've had, um, we've had sort of forks of Postgres way back to when I started. So I think Matiza might have been mm. the first one who basically tailored it for, uh, for FPGAs. So they had an mm -hmm. FPGA storage kind of solution uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, I think is pretty far back. Uh, then we had some ports that uh, that uh, ported Postgres to Windows before we had a port. Uh, one was out of Japan, one was out of Boston. Uh, then we started to get a lot of data warehouse forks, um, mm. uh, certainly Greenplum being the best one. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and then, uh, 
so and now we're getting more of the distributed forks uh so it, it i almost feel like whatever sort of hot topic there is some startup kind of comes along and says hey let's do a fork of postgres and do x right uh, I, i've always you know we've always had as a community mixed feelings on these things i've i've always been of the opinion that the the forking has has two possibilities right the first possibility is that the new fork becomes so popular that it basically eclipses the original project uh now you know you might think that's kind of kind of bizarre but if you look at i believe it's uh was it egcs the gcc compiler that um that effectively was a fork of GCC, and it became so popular that uh, the, the the GCC people had to eventually take it and make it the new GCC. Okay, mm-hmm. and the reason for that was because the GCC project had become so so conservative in adding compiler optimizations that EGC, um, EGCS came along and it did stuff everyone wanted and and everyone was like, well, this is all we want and if GCC isn't going to do it, we're going to use that. So GCC had to move over and just say, oh, we have to be, that's what we're going to use from now on and all the current code for GCC is now really EGCS in a way, right? Uh, the second possibility is that the the the, the project, uh, the, the fork becomes this extra thing that sort of takes a workload that the original thing doesn't do and and tailors it for that, whether it's, you know, for Green Plum, it would be, um, it would be data warehouse for, you know, for Yugabyte, it would be distributed. And, and, and it doesn't do what the original does as well, but it does the distributed thing well, right? And, and mm-hmm. I frankly... I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I really feel that uh, effectively as that new workload becomes popular, either you know we bring some of that code or those ideas into Postgres or uh, that project continues to grow, but they also need the community to grow at the same time and they basically f- help to fund and bring Postgres forward. So, you know, if we look at, at, G- at, at Greenplum, um, you know, there's been certainly a lot of engineers from Greenplum who have helped us. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a Pocona Postgres, right? I mean, I think there's, you know, yeah. there's, there's EDB Postgres, um, there's a Fujitsu Postgres, uh, and as far as I know, all of those projects are helping. RDS, uh, certainly Postgres is, is, is bringing in a lot of engineering help. So uh, I kind of see it as better. It's really a, it's really a question of whether you see the world as expansive or, uh, limited, right? If you if you think of the world as having limited resources, limited opportunities, and you have to basically close off the challenges to your to your world, then you're going to see these forks as negative. If you think of an expansive universe where they're opening up the use case for Postgres, they're opening up the visibility of the project, and and you have to have the confidence of the project strong enough to to remain viable and visible in that environment. Then you're gonna you're gonna embrace that, even if you know, for example, Greenplum for the first ten years or whatever, really just forked Postgres and didn't really come back a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of feedback. And then a couple of years ago, they're like, oh, you know, we really need to get up in current Postgres. There's a huge lag now. We're missing a lot of features. Let's get some engineers involved. Let's bring the code up to current Postgres. I don't know where they are on that now, but uh, the point is that 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 fork and certainly the EDB fork 
with the company I work for has helped fund the community. And if we prevented those, then we wouldn't have those, you know, we wouldn't have those resources. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the the philosophy of you make the pie bigger, everyone is more successful, right? So more right. contributions, more uh, people who are contributing to the ecosystem, more uh, eyeballs, more usage, right. you know, is we don't need to fight over the same territory right now. But, but you have to be a healthy project. You have to be nimble. You have to be one that embraces new people mm-hmm. coming in. It, it it doesn't happen by accident. And if you're if you're rigid like the GCC was, then you, this is going to be a problem. Um, yeah. You really have to be. Um, you have to be pretty strong. And in fact, I have another. Uh, another slide talking about whether cloud could could eclipse open source that's another similar concern where where the cloud becomes a fork the cloud deployments the cloud database services become a fork could they become so big that people mm-hmm. don't even know the project exists right oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and and what would that look like so you're it's a similar kind of case um that where where you have uh you have this this service that's out there that's kind of using fortunately they're using your name right so you're you're kind of okay there um but you know could it could it become so big that that nobody even downloads your software anymore nobody knows who you are people don't think there's a way of getting involved except through the cloud provider mm-hmm. right yeah and that's, that's that is a risk right that yeah. is a risk So, um, uh, Bruce, I I like to kind of, I I started this since our last podcast. Um, I I like to end with kind of a rapid fire set of questions, just some random things. Sure. Just interested in your, your, you know, get people can get to know you a little bit and also, uh, give you the opportunity to, uh, share some insights. So, um, what is your favorite upcoming feature in Postgres 15? Probably, if I take a guess right now, the movement of the stat, this is really geeky, the movement of the stats collector to shared memory, that was a big thing for us. So um, it's something that's been a long-term issue that I think is going to improve quite a bit. What was your favorite release of Postgres? Like, do you have a favorite? Like this one was just like... Probably the one that added the Windows port was the coolest, yeah. Okay. That would be uh, 8.4, 8.3, something like that, yeah. Eight okay. like it was eight okay. I can't remember. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Um, last book that you read? This book that I read was a book on Amish history. Oh, okay. Yeah, very interesting. I, I'm yes. on my fourth Amish book. I'm looking over it there at the bookcase. Oh, Something I've always excellent. been interested in because of the pa- pandemic, I'm home a lot more. So, <laughs> all right, let's get to the books. All right. All right. Um, you know, so that, that, that that's an interesting one. Um, and, you know, so also curious, if we are to meet you at a conference and we're to go to dinner, what's your favorite food? Well, you know, I just came back with a conference. I had two and a half ribeyes in five days. So I guess it's ribeye. Oh, yeah. So steak eater there, you know, that's, yeah. that's okay. I don't, so, I, it's not necessarily my favorite, but it's the one I don't get at home a lot. So I have a tendency to favor that. So I have a tendency to favor stuff I don't get at home, like jambalaya I love, um, you know, steak I love. I like, I pretty much love everything. So yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. And we're going to end with this one. If you can 
get through to developers worldwide or technologists worldwide with just one thing that you wish that they would do, what would that one thing be? Making you think here. Making yeah. Making you sweat. No right or wrong answer. It is tragic to find that you that there's an easy solution to something that you spend a lot of time working on. And a lot of times that answer is in the database. Mm, okay. Okay. Make use of the tools that are available to yeah. you. Understand the technology that you're using um, and explore your databases more. Always good advice. Bruce. Thank you for hanging out with me today on the Haas Talks Foss. I appreciate you stopping by. We're going to look forward to catching up in person at Percona Live in a, in a few weeks here. Uh, that should be exciting. Um, and uh, any final words for the audience here? No, I'm certainly looking forward to Percona Live. So uh, I, I think this might be the first time I've done the U.S. one. I've done the European ones quite Oh, well. okay. So Which is I'm unusual not... because you're from the U.S. So Yeah. Well, you know what happens is that the... the the events are always on a travel. I'm already out there. So it's like I'm already uh, in Europe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, every time it's been in the U.S., it's been a conflict, but it's always worked out. It's in Europe. So I'm so excited. I'm excited to go to Austin and, 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 and be in person again together, right? Yes, to, indeed, uh, indeed. To hang out and have a good time. Yeah, it is really, it is really something I've missed. Yeah. And for those who are watching, um, go ahead and like this video, subscribe to it, you know, give us comments, give us questions, tell us what audience or guests you would like to, us to, to pursue in the future. If you'd like to hear from Bruce again, you want me to bring him on and grill him on some topic, feel free to suggest that as well. I'm happy to do that. You know me, I like to talk to people. Um, but uh, Bruce, hopefully that's okay with you. I of didn't course. ask him before I Absolutely. said, uh, you know, go ahead and have me grill him. Uh, but uh, until next time, we appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Great. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.